the theme of our of our uh, Christmas season this month has been simply Christmas. We find that this time of year and 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 certainly this season and this 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 current construct that we've waded through called 2020 has brought its fair share of, of, of craziness and complications and uncertainty and everything. And we as a staff just felt pressed to say, you know what? Let's just press the pause button and let's just reflect on the fact that God is good, that he loved us so much that he would send his son to this earth. And we said, let's just strip things down and keep it simple. And so the last... Uh, week we started a, a series that's just three weeks long take us through the Christmas season called a star a savior and a stable and last week if you were with us uh, online or in person you remember that we talked about the star the star that signified the coming of, of Jesus birth and this celebration uh, that took place the night that that our savior entered the world the crazy aspect of that is that, that great symbol, that great sign of, of God's love and his providence and his desire to restore re- right relationship to his creation was missed, just completely missed by so many in a, a, a season and a time that wasn't too much like the time that we're navigating through here. This week, we want to focus in on the Savior, we want to take time to really understand God's Son and His role in our eternity. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on that and read a passage of Scripture here in a moment. But if you're like me, um, there's a lot of different traditions that come when it comes to Christmas. We had a few things that we did in the Clements house, four boys. It was crazy. You know, there's a lot of testosterone. I feel bad for my mom. I don't think she's recovered completely, even as we're all adults now. But it was a little bit crazy in our house. But we did have some traditions that we shared uh, during the Christmas season. One was we, we, did the, we did the birthday for Jesus. And maybe some of you are like us, and you would set the table up really nice and prepare a meal. And for us, yes, we're weird, okay? I'm just, I'll just admit it right now. But for whatever reason, in the Clements house, when we have birthdays, we do stuffed peppers, I don't know. I don't know. But it's forever and ever, amen, we've done stuffed peppers. Never had stuffed peppers, bell pepper, meat, rice. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> but that was our meal. So my mom would cook stuffed peppers, and we'd set out. We had the little, you know, you are special, the special plate. Does anybody have the red special plate? We'd set out the special place for Jesus, and we would have a birthday party for Jesus. We'd sing happy birthday, and I don't know if we were getting, feeling real real crazy, we'd get a cake. But we'd have, we'd have that, that tradition. And, and, and then a little bit later, I was, when I was 12, I remember I, I got the chicken pox. You've had the chicken pox. You want to get the chicken pox when you're young, not when you're older. I had chicken pox in my throat. I had chicken, I had chicken pox everywhere. And I was miserable. I remember, I remember laying on the couch and you know, you got to work it. You got you to milk it, you know, and just be like, oh, 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 mom, this is so bad. Can I get more jello? A little bit more chicken noodle soup? Yeah, you got to get your money's worth. But I remember having chicken pox, and my mom, and she's probably going to correct me online at some point after service, because I probably won't get this story right, but my mom went out and got a gift for me, and I have to believe that it was around the Christmas season. I can't remember. 
But she got me a nutcracker, um, which seems like a completely sensible gift for a kid who's dealing with chicken pox. Um, and this is the actual original nutcracker that my mom got for me when I was 12. Um, and and she, she brought that to me, and after I was kind of like, huh, I wonder what I should do with this. You know, and you can only do this for so long, and then it kind of gets a little bit boring. But, but she got me this gift, and, and, and it was cool, and it was kind of weird, and, but I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then it started this tradition that's now occurred for 31 years, where every year around Christmas or for Christmas, I'd get another nutcracker. And as you can well imagine, they started to get more and more ornate and detailed. Um, when we, our, our family had the privilege to go to, to Europe, because my dad flew all over the place for work and had more mileage plus points you know, than most people could ever want to use up in two lifetimes. So we got to go to Europe, and I actually got to buy one in Germany uh, that was pretty cool. And as time wore on, they'd get bigger and you know, more <laughs> extravagant. And, and um, this one actually kind of was my inspiration this morning, as you can see. Not, it's not the same likeness, I guess. Maybe if I would have put on the yellow tights and the knee-high boots, that would have really brought it home. But, uh, you know, that might have been a little bit distracting. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. But tradition is something that I think we all embrace. And, and for me, it was nutcrackers. And now I, I still, even as a 43-year-old man, enjoy getting the nutcracker every, every year from my mom. And it's something that I celebrate. And I would venture to say, obviously, everyone loves a man in uniform. If I just kind of stand like that, you know. But I would, I would, I would ask the question, what, what kind of Savior was the world looking for when Jesus came on the scene? Maybe it was somebody in uniform. Maybe I, I have to believe that, that the nation of Israel was expecting a conquering hero, was expecting somebody to come in and take care of business and, and upend this whole thing and all this oppression that, that the Israelites had endured for so many years. But I think we have to ask ourselves the same question today. What kind of Savior are we waiting for? What kind of Savior are we expecting? Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son. That you sent your son to come to this earth to live a perfect life, born in a manger of a virgin. This incredible scene that so many missed. Father, I pray that we wouldn't miss your goodness and your love this Christmas season. But we would understand that you've created us with a plan and a purpose. And you desire communion with your people. So help us to receive that gift of the Savior again this Christmas. And as we spend time in the Word this morning and in Scripture, as we spend time listening to your voice, I pray, God, that you would challenge our hearts and you would encourage us. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, our text last week as we started our conversation was found in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. 
And if you turn there with me, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, you can uh, grab your mobile device and uh, tune in on the Version Bible app. All the scriptures and notes are there for you. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Such an amazing passage of Scripture when we see the prophet Isaiah foretelling the coming of a Savior. And then it would happen hundreds of years later. But when we begin to think about the Savior, when we think about the way in which Jesus arrived on the scene, we have to consider the role of a Savior in God's story of redemption. God created the universe. God created you and me. And then we stepped into sin. When we turned, back, turned our back on his commandments and we disobeyed. And in that context, we were immediately separated spiritually from a loving Father, loving God. And when we think about this Savior, we have to think about God's desire to restore us to right relationship. And there's a few things this morning that we should consider as we embrace the Savior who came to save us from our sins. First thing is, Jesus was not a savior. He didn't match the expectations we had of a savior. Jesus was not the person that people were expecting. He was not what they were hoping for. The promised Messiah was expected to be a conquering hero, one who would restore the nation of Israel to prominence and favor in the world. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Isaiah communicates a message of a Messiah who will be basically a political leader, a judge, somebody who will arrive on the scene in strength and prominence. The whole nation of Israel will celebrate and say, yes, We're restored back to our place of strength as a nation. Many expected an overthrow of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was oppressive to the Jewish people. And they expected when the Messiah showed up that, man, we're going to do away with all this Roman oppression. We're going to be restored to freedom. We're going to be able to worship the way that we want to. We won't be slaves to the Roman Empire. There would be an expectation that the Messiah would come from a place of prominence. Wouldn't that make sense? If a Messiah, if a Savior was going to show up, if a king was going to show up on the scene, wouldn't he be royalty? Wouldn't he show up? Wouldn't he have grown up in a palace? Wouldn't he have... That would make the most sense. That's the king we need. That's the king we're hoping for. That's the Savior we want certainly we wouldn't find the Messiah, the Savior, 
coming from a place called Nazareth by way of Bethlehem. Surely not that. We even find in the New Testament the humorous thoughts that people had of of the place that Jesus originated from. In John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was found from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Philip said, Come and see. Even as Jesus began his ministry, Nazareth was, was the laughing stock of the nation of Israel. So why would a Savior show up in this way and so not even come close to meeting the expectations of people? The Savior's arrival should have been grand. It should have been amazing. It should have reflected this awesome entrance. Yet Jesus' entrance on the scene seemed from all outward appearances, to be pretty ordinary, even scandalous. Born of a virgin. Virgin Mary's pregnant. She's not married. I feel like it's a scene from the Dark Knight. Any, any Dark Knight fans in here? We've covered Marvel, you know, Winter Soldier with my mask last week, and then I fall down the stairs. Not great. So let's try DC Comics. Grant likes DC Comics. But I feel like it's a scene from Batman. There's a, there's a line in The Dark Knight where they're talking about the hero that they need. They're talking about Batman. They say, because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. I feel like that's what probably the nation of Israel was saying. He's the hero we deserve, but he's not the one we need. We need somebody to come in here and clean house, fix this. Get us out of this bondage. You know, it seems every one of us finds ourselves waiting for something this Christmas. We're waiting for a breakthrough. Maybe for you it's a return to work or a new job because you lost gainful employment. Maybe it's just simply the ability to be around family and friends. You're frustrated because you've been separated from the people that you love and you just desperately want to be together. Maybe you're waiting on an answer from God on something for which you've been pursuing or praying for for years. I was visiting with one of our, our, our church folks this past week, and he, he literally said his exact words were, I feel like I'm running out of track on the things that God promised me. I feel like I'm running out of track. I'm running out of time. Maybe you're desiring a healing touch from the Lord. You're struggling through sickness and disease and you need a breakthrough. And in that, you don't know where the Savior's at. You know, God's timing and methods can often leave us frustrated and confused. His timing doesn't line up with our expectations. It's frustrating when the Savior shows up on the scene and seemingly ignores our greatest priorities. The Jewish people were like, what in the world is going on here? 
We don't need a baby. What good is that going to do us? There was the expectation, and there was the Savior, and there was a gap. And maybe you find yourself in that place. There's the, the Savior who's come, and there's the need that you have. And there seems to be this massive chasm. And you're struggling to understand where God is in your circumstance. I'm here to remind you God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And too often we forget that in the context of our craziness, God is working and God is moving. And when we face a crisis of our expected Savior, we have a choice. When your need doesn't match up with God's plan, what do we do? We have a choice. Because the Savior does not oftentimes match our expectations. There's another reality when it comes to Jesus. Jesus was a Savior who was neither welcomed nor wanted. Not only was he not expected, he wasn't welcome or wanted. Jesus' arrival was not one that, 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 that was like, oh. Jesus entered the earth when there was kings and there was emperors and there was already an established government. And there was many who didn't want that messed with. In Matthew chapter 2, Verse 13, we know that Jesus was born. And following Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph had to flee. Matthew 2, verse 13 says, When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This Savior, this Messiah who had been anticipated for hundreds of years, shows up on the scene, and the first thing that happens is the governmental authority wants to seek him out and kill him. He was not welcome. He was not wanted. There was no grand entrance for the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. There was no room. He was born in the stable. This humble entrance into the earth the only witnesses were the lowly shepherds and some astronomers who were studying the stars and thought, oh, that's, that's different. We should go. And they heard prophecy and went to see the king. But Jesus' presence also wasn't wanted by those anticipating the Messiah. Jesus wasn't a conquering hero. He instead spent his time in the temple teaching and listening, and learning. And he was in this place where we want a Messiah, not, not, a, not a rabbi. The Jews didn't want a Savior who taught, who went around and told parables, and, you know, was philosophical, and oh, they wanted somebody to overthrow the government. They certainly didn't want a Savior who hung out with the likes of fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots. That didn't make sense at all. They were most certainly not expecting the Messiah who would take more exception with the Jewish 
religious leaders than he would the oppressive Roman government that had them in bondage. He was not welcomed. He was not wanted. And eventually it cost him his life. The life that he willingly gave for you and for me. So who's the Savior you're wanting this Christmas? Who's the Savior you're expecting? A job promotion? Financial breakthrough? Is that the Savior you need? Maybe the Savior you need or want is a vaccine. The Savior you find is a financial stimulus. That's what I need. Or maybe for you it's a political party or, or a political leader. If we just have so-and-so come into office, all of our problems will go away. We need a Savior. The reality is Jesus is the only Savior we need because we can't save ourselves, no matter who's in office, no matter how many mandates we endure, no matter how many, no matter how many masks you put on and wear at the same time, no matter how many vaccines you get. You can't save yourself, and I can't save myself. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not by works. It is the gift of God that we receive a Savior this Christmas. So we understand that we receive a Savior who is not expected, who's not welcomed or wanted. Final thing is this we receive a Savior who came to bring hope to a lost and dying world. Jesus came to bring hope. Many are searching for something to hold on to this Christmas. Something. And in a season and in a day where hope and peace and joy seem to be the most elusive things, some of these are, are, would almost be considered cuss words in society. Hope? You want me to have hope? That's funny. That's rich. Peace? Yeah, there's no peace. Look at our political parties. Look at our, look at our nation. Joy? Don't talk to me about joy. We find ourselves in this place where people are struggling. People are without hope. Peace is something that, that nobody even wants to talk about. And joy, it's, it's been months, maybe even years, for some who have experienced joy. And yet in the midst of that, God is desiring that Jesus would be your hope. You know, while all these things can be elusive, too often we look for hope and peace and joy and love in temporary answers or solutions. We look at temporary fixes to bring that assuredness that oh, I can make it through the holidays, I can have some semblance of joy because of this a job, a project at work, a relationship, 
something temporary to make me feel better about my life and the purpose. The only true hope can be found in the one who came to be Savior to all. Not just for me, not just for you, but for all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. God has power and strength and hope and peace and joy and love for you today. But he desires that we would step into a belief in the only Savior who can save us. Our Savior, Jesus, should be found and worshipped in the struggle and the uncertainty. Too often we wait for the circumstances to dictate a reason. We wait for everything to line up, and then we'll worship. God, if you just do this, I will worship you. God, if you just give me a husband, if you just give me a wife, if you just fix this financial situation, if you just deliver me from this sickness or disease, I will worship you. But God is saying, worship me in the midst of all of that, and I will be your hope, and I will be your peace and I will be your joy. God's goodness extends beyond our priorities. Did you hear me, church? God's goodness extends beyond what you think is important. And too often, our fashioning and shaping of what our world should look like dictates our view of who God is. And God is so much bigger than the plans and the purposes that you've created for your own life. He knew you before you were born. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head. While you were still in your mother's womb, he knew you. He has a plan and purpose that's perfect. Instead of waiting for a situation to offer us hope, we can place our complete devotion and trust in the one who is the only true source of hope. That's got to be the decision that we make, understanding that that is the Savior who came. 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Did you hear me? After you have suffered a little while. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we will not endure hardship? In fact, it says the opposite. In this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. After you suffered a little, little while, he will res- himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He will return to you hope and peace and joy and all those things that you want. As we prepare to close and the worship team returns to the platform, I want to read a story, a quote, actually, to you. Many of you may be familiar with a, a lady by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. 
Um, if you've ever followed her ministry or if you Google her, um, her story is truly an incredible one. Johnny Erickson Tata was uh, someone who was very active and vibrant in her younger years. She was full of life and full of love. And Johnny found herself out at a river one day, and she dove off a high point into a shallow pool of water and hit her head and had massive spinal damage and was immediately paralyzed from the neck down. Johnny found herself confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And in that moment where any of us could find plenty of reasons to say, where is God in this? Where am I supposed to find hope in this situation? Johnny chose to instead begin to see God in the midst of her search, search, circumstance and situation. Johnny began to use her creativity and her talent to bless people by speaking and sharing her story. She began to, to draw and paint incredible pictures with her mouth. And she became an inspiration for many. She has a wonderful perspective in her blog on what we should think about when it comes to Christmas. And I want to read it to you as we close. It says, we fill Christmas with all sorts of expectations. But the biblical pattern teaches us that Jesus is not at all concerned with our expectations. Instead, he's mainly concerned with our most desperate needs. We typically do not choose our most desperate places, the places of our fear and the places of our sin, as places to encounter and worship Jesus. But he does. He knows these are the places we need most the thrill of hope. And so, expect to find Jesus in the sober celebration of dear friends who, let's say, due to cancer, may be sharing their last Christmas together. Expect to find Jesus at the hospital bedside of a precious little boy where his parents have kept faithful vigil since his brain injury months ago. Expect to find Jesus this Christmas in the places of your own groaning, your sinful stumbling, and your persistent weaknesses. Yes, by all means, enjoy the pleasantries, the happiness of this holiday. But if you're hurting or struggling against sin, what you'd probably most enjoy and what you need is hope. Hope that your sins can be forgiven, that shattered trust can be rebuilt and that your loved one's suffering is not in vain. Jesus came into the world at a desperate time in a very desperate way. It was not the way people expected him to come. It wasn't for the reasons they expected him to come. It wasn't the way they expected. He did not come to meet their expectations, but to love them in the ways they most desperately needed. And finally, as John Bloom puts it, Christmas is not about tradition, but salvation. It's not about ex expectations, but sanctification. Christmas is about love, earthy, gritty, sacrificial, even bloody love. This was a love that no one expected, and a love that exceeds all our expectations. So this Christmas... Look for Jesus in an unexpected place. 
maybe a place of brokenness or of sin, a place where he will cause his good news to be your greatest joy this glorious season. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we know in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the messiness, in the midst of our uncertainty, that you love us, that you come with a Savior who bears hope. That we don't have to worry about what happened yesterday or what we're in the midst of today or even what may happen tomorrow. We could find confidence in your faithfulness, in the love that you sent to this earth in the form of your only Son so that we could find a path towards right relationship, salvation, as we call it. Father God, help us not to get distracted this season with all the things that are going on, but help us to press into your love with expectation of what you would do in our lives and the lives of those that we love. God, we ask for your great blessing on each and every one this Christmas, on the families of so many who have not been able to leave their homes, who have not been able to do the things that they want to do, who have been restricted in ways that have been paralyzing. And for those who have experienced and are experiencing anxiety and depression and the struggles of those things, I pray that you would show up, Father. You would say, peace be still in the midst of that uncertainty, in the midst of that anxiety. And they would find hope in you. God, we love you. We're grateful for your great love in our lives. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. God, we receive that salvation this morning. We receive the Savior who came to bring hope. I thank you, God, for your love. This morning, if you find yourself in a place where you've not stepped into relationship, you've not received that hope, you don't know what it means to have joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. We want to give you the opportunity to say a prayer in a few moments. There's no magic in the prayer, but the Word of God says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, that Christ died and was raised from the dead, that you will be saved. And so this prayer is just that. It's a confession of our need of a Savior. It's a confession of our need of forgiveness. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. we just ask you to simply say this prayer with us. Church, can we say this prayer together so that we don't embarrass anybody or single them out? Can we say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth to show me how to live. He was died and raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. 
change the things in me I can't change as I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible said there was a host of angels that came to share the news of the coming Savior. And they came bearing glad tidings of great joy. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says if even one comes to a decision of relationship with Jesus Christ, that there's a whole host of angels in heaven that are celebrating. And I think it would be it would be appropriate for us to celebrate with those angels this morning. Can we celebrate the decision that those have made? You know, church, this season we need to be willing to share the hope and peace that we've found in Jesus. Can you do that this season? We take our attention off the mandates and all the crazy stuff that's happened in 2020 and begin to focus in on the one who brings hope and to share that with those that we love. We're going to be surrounded by friends and family over the next few days, and I would encourage you to bless them with that hope. We'd invite you to be with us on Thursday for our Christmas Eve services at either 6 or 7.15. We're going to be together. If you can't be with us in person, we will be streaming online at 7.15, so be sure to be with us for that. Um, if you would like, whether you're here or you're tuning in online, grab some communion elements, some bread and some grape juice. We're going to be receiving communion that night. But We look forward to being together. And as we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus Christ, this year. Church, this Christmas season, let's go out and be the neighborhood. God bless you and Merry Christmas.